0: From the classroom to the emergency room, OR and beyond, you're joining Trauma ICU Rounds with your host, Dr. Dennis Kim. Welcome back to Trauma ICU Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Dennis Kim, wishing you, your colleagues, and loved ones all the best. You know, one thing about critically ill patients with COVID-19 is that from day to day, very little changes, and there are few big moves to be made. I find that it's really been challenging, especially as a trauma surgeon, our natural desire for forward momentum is really hampered by the sheer inertia of this particular pathogen and its wide-ranging pathophysiologic downstream effects. And with that said, given the sheer volume and severity of illness of patients that we're currently managing with ARDS, I thought it would be beneficial to just take a step back and discuss some fundamentals of ARDS management. In subsequent episodes, we'll discuss adjunctive supportive therapies, pharmacologic, non-pharmacologic, and ventilator strategies for improving outcomes in patients with ARDS. And when we talk about or discuss outcomes in the setting of ARDS, there really are two outcomes that we care about and that have been the subject of the ARDS literature, namely improvements in oxygenation and mortality. So when we discuss therapies, it's helpful to ask yourself, does this treatment improve oxygenation, mortality, or both? To a lesser degree, we also care about things like duration of mechanical ventilation and length of stay, but oxygenation and mortality are really the key outcomes. In terms of objectives for today's episode, by the end of today's podcast, you should be able to, number one, identify the key diagnostic criteria for ARDS, two, Discuss the most common pulmonary and non pulmonary etiologies for this syndrome. 3. Understand the three phases of ARDS and the key pathophysiologic features that accompany this syndrome. Also, you should be able to describe the four types of ventilator induced lung injury or VILI, which I think is really important as it lays the foundation for understanding the basics of initial ARDS management, which is our fifth objective discuss the initial ventilator setup for patients with ARDS. Regarding our first objective, There have really been four definitions for ARDS that have evolved since the initial clinical description of what was then called the adult respiratory distress syndrome by Ashbaugh and colleagues in 1967, who published the case series of 12 adult patients with acute respiratory distress, cyanosis, refractory to oxygen therapy, decreased lung compliance, and diffuse infiltrates on chest x-ray. Interestingly, even with this initial description, both clinical features and chest imaging findings served as surrogates for the presence of ARDS. However, this initial definition lacked specific criteria that could be used to identify patients both reliably and systematically. For those of you familiar with indications for placing patients on ECMO in the setting of acute respiratory failure, you're surely familiar with the Murray score, which expanded upon the original description and quantifies the physiologic respiratory impairment through the use of a four-point lung injury scoring system based on number one, the level of PEEP, number two, the P to F ratio, and we'll come back to that in just a minute, Number three, static lung compliance or plateau pressure. And number four, the number of consolidated quadrants on chest x ray. The scoring system's been widely used in the clinical research trials area, but its prognostic value, especially early in the course of ARDS, has been shown to be somewhat limited. Now, in 1994, the American European Consensus Conference Committee or AECCC proposed a new definition, which was advantageous in a couple of respects. First, it recognized that the severity of clinical lung injury is on a spectrum, such that patients with a PF ratio of less than or equal to 300 were considered to have acute lung injury or ALI, whereas those with more severe hypoxemia, defined by a ratio of 200 or less, were considered to have ARDS. Second, the definition is fairly simple to apply in the clinical setting and really helped with the standardization of both clinical research and trials. There are a number of limitations, though, with the AECCC, however, and most notably, I think it's the emphasis on pulmonary capillary wedge pressures, so, ruling out evidence of left atrial hypertension defined as a pulmonary capillary wedge pressure of less than or equal to 18. Further, Radiographic findings were not specific, and the term acute wasn't really defined. So that brings us to the 2012 Berlin definition, which removes the term ALI, or acute lung injury, and defines three risk strata that are based on the degree of hypoxemia as assessed at a minimum PEEP, or positive end expiratory pressure, of 5 centimeters of water, whereby mild ARDS is a PF ratio of 201 to 300 moderate 101 to 200, and severe less than or equal to 100, with mortality increasing from around 25% to 35% to 45% as the severity of ARDS increases. The definition also makes the radiographic criteria more explicit and also allows for the use of CT for the detection of qualifying opacities. Further, The definition defines acute as developing within seven days of a known insult or new slash worsening respiratory symptoms. Given that up to a third of patients with ARDS may have concurrent volume overload or heart failure, the Berlin criteria de-emphasizes objective measurements of LA pressures that was a core criterion in the AECCC definition. Before we move on to our second objective, it's important to bear in mind that even the most recent definition for ARDS is imperfect, but I think it's absolutely critical to apply these criteria liberally to patients with acute respiratory failure in order to identify patients early so that we may institute therapies and avoid iatrogenic harm in the form of ventilator-induced lung injury. And that means low tidal volume strategies which have been shown to decrease absolute mortality in patients with ARDS by 9% from 40% to 31%. And when you put this in the context of therapies in critically ill patients, there are few if any interventions associated with such a dramatic improvement in survival save maybe ventilatory support during the 1952 polio epidemic in Copenhagen, in which mortality decreased from over 80% to 40%. So regarding our second objective, common clinical disorders associated with the development of ARDS are traditionally classified as either direct lung injury risk factors or indirect lung injury risk factors. And On a trauma service or SICU rotation, we see a lot of patients with these risk factors, but interestingly, the vast majority of patients don't progress to ARDS, and I think as our knowledge of ARDS has progressed over the years, it's become apparent that genetic susceptibility plays a large role in terms of the progression of this disorder, together with host comorbidities, pathogen virulence factors, and environmental exposures, but Let's get back to etiologies. The two most common sources of direct lung injury are pneumonia and aspiration. Other causes of direct lung injury include pulmonary contusions, inhalational injuries, drowning or near drowning, fat emboli or any emboli, amniotic fluid emboli, and then reperfusion pulmonary edema as may be seen following a lung transplant or a pulmonary embolectomy for, let's say, a massive PE. In terms of indirect lung injury, sepsis is by far the most common culprit. And again, this is sepsis of any origin. Together with pneumonia and aspiration, sepsis accounts for about 85% of all cases of ARDS in the majority of clinical trials to date. Another common cause of indirect lung injury is seen in patients with severe trauma, especially in the setting of a massive transfusion. Other causes include major burns, pancreatitis, Cardiopulmonary bypass, as well as overdose. So, before we move on to the phases of ARDS, I do want to make a quick note of what have become to be known as ARDS mimics. And these are conditions that clinically, as well as radiographically, look like ARDS or ARDS, but require diagnostic tests and therapies that are quite distinct from those of ARDS. And the reason I bring these up is that. Our first priority in the care of patients with ARDS is the identification and treatment of the underlying cause or causes. ARDS mimics are really a potpourri of medical conditions, the most common of which is CHF, along with interstitial lung disease, a variety of vasculitides, malignancies, and drug-induced lung diseases. Now, regarding our third objective and pathogenesis, there are three classically described phases of ARDS progression, starting from the exudative phase, followed by the proliferative phase, and finally, the fibrotic phase. Now, in the exudative phase, following either a direct or indirect insult, the alveoli and associated microcirculation, they lose their barrier function as a result of epithelial and endothelial injury, and this is mediated by macrophage and neutrophil-mediated lung injury, release of inflammatory cytokines and other pro-inflammatory mediators, in addition to intravascular coagulation and depleted surfactant. Clinically, this phase is manifested by the rapid onset of acute respiratory failure and arterial hypoxemia that's refractory to treatment with supplemental O2. And the net effect of this inflammatory cascade is the accumulation of protein-rich edema fluid, not just in the alveoli, but in the interstitium, which gets exacerbated or worsened by a mechanical stretch. And if you look histologically, you can see diffuse alveolar infiltrates followed days later by hyaline membrane deposition. In the proliferative phase of ARDS, repair processes are underway and go into effect in an effort to restore epithelial integrity, reabsorb alveolar edema, and then lay down a provisional matrix to reestablish alveolar architecture as well as function. Now, Although acute lung injury and the ARDS may resolve completely, in some patients after the first two phases, instead of heading into a recovery phase, a subset of patients are going to progress to the final or fibrotic phase of ARDS. And we've seen a lot of this with our severely ill COVID-19 patients. And this is really characterized by a fibrosing alveolitis with persistent refractory hypoxemia, Huge increases in dead space ventilation, and that's manifested by these CO2s that are in the 90s or 100s, despite what you try to do with their minute ventilation and their bicarbs are trying to compensate into the 40s or 50s. And then further reductions in pulmonary compliance, And, and all of these things have been linked to prolonged mechanical ventilation, as well as increased mortality. So as we've discussed in previous episodes, the major objective... For mechanical ventilatory support is to rest the muscles of respiration while providing adequate gas exchange. Not perfect gas exchange, adequate gas exchange. And the term ventilator induced lung injury or VILI, it's a bit of a misnomer as the key factor causing injury is, in fact, lung overdistension which can be caused by factors other than the ventilator and can also be seen in patients who are spontaneously breathing with or without positive pressure or high flow nasal cannula. But we'll save that for a future episode. Now, one word that you hear a lot when we talk about ARDS is heterogeneous. ARDS is a heterogeneous disease process that places ventilated lungs at risk for four major types of villi. And by having a basic grasp of these mechanisms, you gain a better understanding as to the initial ventilator strategy for ARDS patients. And as we've already emphasized, care of patients with ARDS is largely supportive and focused on limiting further lung injury through lung protective ventilation to prevent VILI. Now, because the volume of aerated lung is reduced in patients with ARDS, that's gadinoni's so-called baby lungs, even normal tidal volumes delivered with airway pressures that are considered non-injurious or safe for the uninjured lung can cause regional overdistension or so-called volutrauma, which can further injure the alveolar epithelium and amplify inflammation both locally as well as systemically. And it's for this reason that more traditional tidal volumes of 10 to 15 cc's per kg have been replaced by a more modest 6 cc's per kilogram of predicted body weight. The second type of villi is barotrauma, which usually manifests clinically or radiographically as pneumothorax, pneumomediastinum, or subcutaneous emphysema. And the key mechanism here is really lung distension, as opposed to high airway pressures in and of themselves, which may occur, for example, when we attempt to deliver large tidal volumes, resulting in air leaks and alveolar rupture. And then, on the opposite end of the spectrum from volume trauma and barrel trauma is trauma. So that repetitive opening and closing of lung units really amplifies regional lung strain and also. Denature surfactant. And particularly vulnerable are dependent lung regions or regions that are lower from a gravitational perspective than other regions and are therefore more likely to be collapsed. And this is one of the reasons why we want to have patients on a higher peep strategy to keep those lung units open at end expiration and why we'll sometimes perform things like lung volume recruitment maneuvers in an effort to recruit de-recruited lung so that they can then participate in gas exchange. And the fourth type of VILI is biotrauma, and it's important to bear in mind that the vast majority of ARDS patients do not succumb to hypoxemia, but rather to multiple organ dysfunction syndrome. As we mentioned earlier, with that breakdown of the alveolar capillary junction, there's a translocation of pro-inflammatory mediators as well as bacterial products that results in a systemic inflammatory response syndrome with distant organ injury and subsequent failure. So in terms of supportive therapies and the initial ventilator setup for patients with ARDS, the first priority, as we've emphasized, in the care of patients with ARDS is identification and treatment of the underlying cause or causes. So for example, in patients with sepsis-associated ARDS due to, let's say, a hinchy 3 perforated diverticulitis, optimal outcomes really requires early resuscitation, appropriate and timely administration of broad-spectrum antibiotic agents, and of course, source control or surgery. Now, earlier, we mentioned the improved survival among ARDS patients who were ventilated with the low tidal volume strategy versus more traditional tidal volume strategy. And the landmark ARDSnet trial, the ARMA paper, was published in NEJM in 2000 and was the first of several important papers that have really shed light on optimal management strategies for patients with ARDS. And of course, this built upon some fantastic work done by investigators both here as well as in Canada, looking at things like changes in tidal volumes and limiting plateau pressures in an effort to improve mortality. But for a number of reasons, probably including things like the difference in the tidal volume sizes were not great enough to really demonstrate a mortality benefit, Uh, these studies actually didn't show significant improvements in outcomes. Now, Having discussed the four types of villi, it follows that we would probably want to avoid excessively large tidal volumes to avoid volume and barotrauma, recruit collapsed alveoli to prevent the sheer stress and injury associated with atelectrauma, trauma, and hopefully, by doing all these things, we can limit the degree and severity of lung injury such that we can avoid biotrauma, which, in addition to translocation, may also be affected by excessively high in toxic levels of FiO2, which is why we're always trying to get that FiO2 down less than 0.6 as soon as is feasible. So in terms of mechanical ventilator setup, the mode of ventilation used in the original ARGNET trial was actually volume AC. And these days we see a lot more patients on PRVC, but by far, the majority of them tend to be on a volume mode of ventilation. I think that's a totally reasonable way to go until you maybe run into problems with excessive pressures, in which case, depending on how the patient is working with the ventilator, the presence or absence of dyssynchrony, you've got a number of tricks up your sleeve that you can use to improve that synchrony. And decrease some of those pressures, but we'll talk about that in a future episode. Now, in terms of the two groups that were in the study, they enrolled adult patients. This was a multi-center prospective randomized controlled trial. And patients were either randomized to low tidal volume ventilation, that's six CCs per kg of predicted body weight. and they targeted plateau pressures of less than or equal to 30 centimeters of water. Or patients went into the traditional tidal volume group where they started at 12 cc's per kg of predicted body weight, which is pretty excessive, and plateau pressures of less than or equal to 50. Again, pretty high. They also allowed for permissive hypercapnia, and they would increase the minute ventilation or tidal volumes uh, by protocol. But in general, they try to keep the tidal volumes as low as possible in each group And patients were also given bicarb as needed, and typically people didn't fret too much as long as the pH was greater than 7.15. The nice thing about this uh, study is that there was also standardized FiO2 and PEEP combinations, and as we've already mentioned, they allowed for permissive hypercapnia. As we've already mentioned earlier, patients in the low total volume ventilation group had an improved survival or decreased mortality By an absolute amount of about 9%, the number needed to treat was 11 to prevent one death. And I think this thing really turned the tide when it came to the initial management of patients with ARDS and provided just a fantastic framework for thinking about how we can manage patients with sick lungs on the ventilator by avoiding VILI. Volume trauma barrel trauma and ad-elect trauma, and then set the stage for a number of subsequent larger studies that looked at other adjuncts to the management of patients with ARDS including liberal versus restrictive fluids low versus high peep strategies and we'll talk about those in the not too distant future so in summary ARDS continues to be associated with significant morbidity and mortality Pneumonia, aspiration, and sepsis are by far the most common causes of ARDS. And again, initial care should be directed at treating the underlying cause. We want to avoid ventilator-induced lung injury. Start with low tidal volume ventilation because we know that this is associated with improved survival. Once again, I want to thank you so much for joining me on rounds. Please do share the show with your colleagues and friends. And be sure to visit the website for show notes and links to key papers. That's TraumaICURounds.com. Also, be sure to leave us a positive review or feedback at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you normally download your podcasts. Until next time, stay safe, keep reading, take care of yourselves and each other.